we are thrilled to have the Sparkle Twins as continuing sponsors for season four. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York, who began their business by creating customized Swarovski crystal-covered shoes for their fellow divas. Their business expanded pre-COVID to include mouth masks for musicians. In addition to protecting yourself from unwanted germs and conversations, the masks have cute phrases on them like, keeping my germs to myself, or I am on vocal rest. To check out their full line of products, visit www.sopranotwins.com forward slash shop and follow them on socials at The Sparkle Twins. Welcome to season four of My So-Called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers. After three seasons of incredible conversations, the podcast has grown and changed much like ourselves. We're still on a mission to connect, inform, inspire, and empower musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Because as we continue to hear from you and watch the opera industry struggle to change and grow, community, connection, and transparency are as important as ever. We're here to spill the tea on the inner workings of the opera life, to celebrate the artists who unapologetically create amazing, non-traditional paths for themselves, and to inspire each other to sing freely, make art truthfully, and to work fearlessly for a more equitable industry. I'm Elise. And I'm Marcel. And we're two sopranos currently living our best so-called opera lives. Welcome to today's episode of My So-Called Opera Life. Yes, I hope you're having a amazing day. Yes. Or, or you're just on the way to have an amazing day. Yes, yes. We are very excited for this interview that we had a while back with Susan Eichhorn Young, who, in full disclosure, is both of our teachers. Yes. <laughs> or she is the teacher to both of us. S E Y voice. Also, how she you S- can find her on online, I guess. Yeah, on her Instagrams and so all of her socials are S E Y voice. Susan, what can I say about Susan? I had the privilege to start working with her in 2019, right before the pandemic. Mm. And uh, she, I, there's just, she is a very special teacher. You know, she, I mean, just in terms of accolades, like she's got students singing, you know, full on opera rep, singing at the Met. And then she has students that are headlining Broadway shows, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which, you know, as a, as a pedigree is kind of amazing. But like the space that she creates in the studio, the, 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 the feeling of collaboration, the, the sense of ownership that I have over my voice and technique when I work with her. I don't know, like I've never felt so seen as a singer and as a full person in, in the studio and never really felt quite like I can, I, I feel like I can try anything in front of her. Mm-hmm. And she's always just going to like open up her toolbox and be like, here's some suggestions for like how we can make this better. Yeah. And yeah, she just has the best energy. Yeah, I love her energy. I I started working with her because I wanted to learn more about and get more comfortable singing musical theater rep. And so she she like not only did you tell me about her, but also she specifically I think has some tips and stuff online and some Facebook groups and I just saw that she was working a lot with opera or classically trained singers on musical theater and so that's why I originally started working with her and then just came to learn that she's so like just encouraging and accepting and non-judgmental and and understanding I think that there's not a lot of that in the business and so being really careful about about being that for for students. I think one of my favorite things that she does is that she shouts out every win that her students has. Yeah, I know that she she's like you like and even when it's a small a small win, like yeah. anything, she like reposts it and gives you kudos and just like I feel so supported by her all yeah. the time. Seriously. Yeah, she's great. And so we wanted to have her on the podcast because there are a lot of experiences we've had personally and heard about that teachers of a different kind of relationship with a teacher where you're not free to to sort of be yourself or share your insecurities or like work through things in a way that works for you. And she has 
it's not like we'll do whatever you want in the lesson. Like she, I mean, it is, but <laughs> it's not like a free for all, but like she has so many tools and she has so extensive pedagogical knowledge, like absurd right. amount. Like, right. I don't know how you know all of that. <laughs> I know, right? Right? Right. And I like, I think first and foremost, and you'll see this on the blog, she has a blog on her website that she posts on short little blog posts every Sunday. And I think if you if you read her blog post, you'll get a really strong sense of her as a person very quickly. You know, one of the things that to me was just apparent right from the get-go is that she is all about meeting the artist in front of her where they are right now and like asking them where they want to go. I was just thinking that. And then like figuring out how she fits into that journey for them mm-hmm. there's no assumptions yeah which you know like you I, you just have such a such a I personally have had such a stronger sense of ownership of my voice and my journey and you know like how how I want to work on my repertoire and my technique which is not something I've had with a lot of my voice teachers mm-hmm. you know and like more importantly I feel like the work that we do in the studio I'm able to do again outside of the studio because I've yep. definitely had teachers where I've been like in the studio we do incredible work and then I get out and start to practice and I'm like I don't know how to make that happen again. yeah 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 and, and so we just wanted to highlight a teacher that is a just great example of a good relationship um, that you can have with a voice teacher and that's not to say that there are I mean of course reach out to Susan if you want to work with her but there are other teachers and I've had good experiences with lots of great teachers and I think just starting to recognize that difference and highlight the the awesome relationships that you can have that empower you and still teach you right. are really important. Because I think it's really easy to not know what a bad relationship looks like. Yeah, totally. You know, especially when you're, you know, you can you, have the best intentions. I well, think, you too. and you, you know, we a good I think, you know, when I go into a coaching or a lesson, like my mindset is to be in the position of the student like I am here you know, to, to receive the knowledge you have to give me mm-hmm. to, you have to be my ears. I can't hear myself the way I actually sounds so like I, re- I'm, you know, there is this level of trust that has to be in the room. Um, but it can't just be blind trust. Right. And I think at academia, we're often like set up to believe that we have to blindly trust. And so to like have this conversation with Susan and hear how she sets up a different type of relationship in the studio is going to be important for everyone yeah. to hear because like, you know, we can ask for something different yeah. in how we relate to our teachers and how they're part of, they're a part of our journey, but they don't control our journey. Yes. And actually, I, I, I think it was important to say, and something that I wasn't thinking of, because it's been a while since I've been in college now, but I just thought about some, like, that, like, sort of mentality in the university is, is, um, like, respect of the teacher, sort of sometimes, like, to the point of like, 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 like the best, some of the best teachers in these universities are like divas, you know, like, and like, don't cross them and don't just do what they say and you will be amazing. And it, it's does a disservice to artists, like to young artists, because what are you going to do when they're gone? Like, how are you going to know what to say? And, And, and even what do you say? Like, she had she has had had or had her career whatever they and you you need your own career you right. don't have their career right it's not ever gonna look the same <laughs> so that's a I just almost forgot about like that sort of vibe too which even if you're in your university like you can still have this kind of relationship and look for teachers like that and and even promote it for yourself what regardless of what the right right. So. And if you're a teacher, like, also think about how you can cultivate that in your own studio. Yeah, certainly I do. Yeah. Well, enjoy this conversation. We love Susan. Yes. Thank <laughs> you for coming, Susan. Well, see, Susan, thank you for being with us today. Why don't you introduce yourself to our guests? We know who you are because you're our wonderful teacher, but. <laughs> well, first, thank you for inviting me to come on. This is really what a treat to be in the in the space with both of you. I'm Susan Eichhorn Young. I am a voice teacher where I am currently in New York City, but worldwide due to the pandemic, which is a wonderful thing, the little silver linings. And I teach all kinds of voice 
to many singers, actors, voice users, and um, help with rehabilitation and artistic challenges and, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. In a nutshell. <laughs> yes. That was a very nice nutshell. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious that because it's something I know ne- we never talk about in lessons. You also are a singer. So how, what is your balance like currently and how has that evolved over the years? Good question. <laughs> Interesting question for right now, because it's something that I've become more specific with myself about. I said to my husband a few weeks ago, actually, if I never sing another note other than to demonstrate in the studio, I will be fine. Mm-hmm. And that's taken a long time to to come to. Over the years, I sang very young and I you know, performed very, very young. But over the years, what ended up happening was even in productions, I would start getting asked by castmates, how do you do that? Or could you help me figure this out? So it started leaning more into my teaching very early on without me even realizing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I love to teach. I think both of you know that. It's my passion. And so at this point in my career, um, that's really where I'm focused is, mm-hmm. is in the teaching realm, not so much the singing realm. Obviously, as a teacher in this industry, I try to keep, you know, a toe in what is going on so I can be most effective in the studio with singers. But it's not something that I am pursuing anymore, really. If I'm asked to sing, and as soon as I say it, I'll get somebody will call me and say, how come you're not (laughs) this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they'll lure me back. But I really honestly, you know, if if there's something to prepare for that I might want to do, I would consider it perhaps, but it's not really where my focus is anymore at all. You started mm-hmm. out singing, though. You started out as a yes. singer. It was hard to, is it hard to let it go? At you know, I thought at times, at times it is, because it's always that what if I, you know, but overall, it hasn't been that difficult. You know, yeah. it, it's just been sort of a net for me anyway, it's just been a natural progression. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that because I have seen many singers who become teachers because of reasons they can't control. Mm-hmm. And then they get frustrated because they feel like they're giving up something, which mm-hmm. I that breaks my heart always. So I'm very, very fortunate that yeah. I don't feel like I'm giving up anything to to be in the studio. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. And you, I, I went in also like, as a singer, but also always wanting to teach. What were your degrees? Did you do performance degrees or how did you get into the teaching? You know, did you get into it right away? I know it was from the singer's angle, but right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a degree in pedagogy, but I, I'm very, very curious. I'm a curious human being. I'm always learning. So even before there was back in the dark ages, before there were really any true vocology discoveries, et cetera. I was always in the stacks reading and exploring and then taking it into the studio to figure out what that was and, you know, all that kind of thing. So even though my, my primary degrees are in performance, I do have an additional vocal pedagogy degree as well. That's great. Well, and I, and I like that curiosity to me is so obvious as your student, just because like, you're, you have such a broad toolbox to offer us, like for whoever's in the studio with you and what we need that day. Like you have so many different things, which is just awesome. There was nothing ever more frustrating to me than when I was with a teacher who like only had one way they did things. I was like, but that's not actually helping me. Yeah. Yeah. I think my big thing always, when I really started to focus on teaching specifically and, you know, really called myself that it was about deciding first and foremost what I didn't want to do Mm. you know certain things that had happened to me as a student that I didn't want to bring into the studio was a way of kind of clearing a path to then allow me to do what I did want to do (laughs) that Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah right you know we we wanted you here on the podcast because you've you've become sort of you have a reputation or among I want to say especially younger singers but maybe that's 
I don't know what you, I don't know if that's true, but I consider myself a younger singer. So and you are <laughs> <laughs> both are still babies. So you be, you have a reputation of just being a very kind teacher that has a lot of knowledge, which is surprisingly and unfortunately not true for so many teachers, especially ones I think, you know, a few years ago, even we would seek out the prestigious teacher. We would want the person with the name. And now singers are, I think, realizing that that's not helping them and actually giving them some kind of trauma sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I, in a way, feel like that's been a very purposeful thing for you in not just the lesson, of course, but could you tell us about how, you know, how you perceive that, I guess, perception. Yeah. Well, that, and I thank you for that. I'm, I think that's part of the, the journey for me is, you know, how, how would I want to be taught? That's how I want to teach, you know, mm-hmm. so that I, my philosophy has always been, you know, I want to meet the singer where they are. Um, that's why I always ask you every time you come in, what are we doing today? And sometimes, you know, and sometimes you don't, and that's okay. You know, because to me, it is not a hierarchy of my way or the highway, which I think as singers, we've all experienced Mm -hmm. or that you go to a new teacher and it's you need to be made over again in their image. And I'm generalizing greatly, but I've experienced that, too, Mm -hmm. can be very traumatic, you know. And so my goal always is to create a place of safety to explore together and also to recognize that it is a collaborative event, you know, but that if you're coming to me, that that is something that I take very seriously and I want to honor that. So my goal is to find you, not you find me. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we translate together and figure out what it is you need. So that in a nutshell is kind of my philosophy of, of what I how I set up my space. And there's so many things like because I have a toe in two aspects of the industry, primarily with the operatic side and the music theater side. If I could smush those cultures together a little bit more, I think we'd find a really nice sweet spot. And, you know, one thing that that I always hated was feeling rightly or wrongly that I was beholden to a teacher, that I needed permission to do anything. Mm-hmm. before I stepped out and tried to do something on my own. And to me, I, I just, I, that's never felt right. And I could never do that. I want to be involved in your process because I care about you, not because I want control of that, mm-hmm. right? So right. that if there's something I can do to help, I'm not just in the studio, but if I know somebody that I can get you in touch with or whatever, I want to teach singers that I truly believe in so that it isn't, you know, it isn't just a, it's not a job to me. Right. Right. At all. You know? Yep. That's so refreshing. And it's, and it's interesting because like, it's amazing to me to, to realize sometimes like how pervasive it still is in the industry to assume that like your teacher has a, feels a sense of ownership over you or that even you as a singer feel a sense of like you're owned by your teacher yeah, or obligated or something. Right. Right. Like I'll even just speak from experience like this week, I, or last week I saw my, one of the members of my voice team, like my doctor's office. And like one of the questions that my voice therapist like constantly asks me is like, would your, well, you know, like, I think that gave you a better sound, Would your voice teacher be okay with that. (laughs) And like, she's trying to be respectful of the fact that like I have multiple people involved, but I was like, like, Yes, like if it feels good and it, you know, it's healthy and it's going to give me a full sound, like you don't need to ask me if my voice teacher is going to be okay. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, are ultimately it's okay? my decision. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, one of the things I always, uh, that I've always said, and I do believe that, like when your foot hits the boards, whether that, I, I mean, I don't care where you're performing or what you're doing, whether you're auditioning. If you have a win, it's yours. And if you fall flat on your ass, it's yours too. You know, I'm going to be there and help dust you off and we'll work it through. But, you know, this is your journey. I'm, I'm just part of the, 
part of the side yeah. team screaming from the cheap seats, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you have any, any theories or insight into, you know, why that might be for some voice teachers? I wish I knew. I mean, I really do. It's, it's um, because it seems it's not that singing teachers are the only ones that are like this, like, you know, every discipline, unfortunately, has this game. And perhaps it's just a little bit more, I mean, because we're, we're in this part of it. So we're very much more aware of it. But I don't know if it is partly because voice is so personal, because it is that intangible. And it is a part of who you are. But I mean, I experienced that as a pianist, you know, so it's it seems to be in every aspect of of the arts as an actor. Yeah. You know, there's just I don't know if there's a human being involved. There's usually some strange aspect of something going on always. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the problem, too, is that because, we, you know, when you're a young, impressionable creature, high school or early like undergrad, you know, you're still trying to figure out who you are and who you want to become. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, that can attract people who need the control. Mm. Right, right. Well, and I think it's like a, a like a two pronged problem, probably. And in, insofar as like, you know, yeah, there's like the cult of the personality, there's the type of teacher who wants the wants power. And so they, you know, kind of take that control. But I think too, like, as you were saying about like being young and on and again, impressionable, you know, but we chronically have this problem where singers are, you know, basically fed by our discipline that they have to be malleable to whomever they're working with. Yeah. And I think we give away a lot of our power, whether we want to or not. And I think, you know, you know, we do that with our voice teachers, even what if the teacher's not asking for that. Right. You know, it's like, oh, well, this person knows I have a voice that isn't fully formed and they're making me. You know, when the reality yeah, yeah. is like, they're giving you tools, but you're making your voice. Exactly. You're the exactly. one in the practice room. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, I say that all the time. I mean, you know, it's, I can hand you a tool and suggest how to use it, but I can't do it for you. Yeah. Right. You know, right. so it, it always is yours. We celebrate the win together, but it's still yours. Yeah, and right. that's such a crucial part. And I'm not, I don't, I've never understood the other way. You know, and the problem is so often is that if you push back and not even in any negative way, if you just question things, you are considered the difficult singer. Yeah. You know, yeah. raise your hand if you've been called that. That would be me. Like, I mean, I've been called that. Kicked Absolutely. out of a studio. Yeah. Kicked out of a studio for that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. I was just wondering about your your sort of insight into into the whys. I mean, we could speculate for a long time, but. We're glad that you are not one of those kinds of teachers. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Me too. Yeah. And I think there's a difference always between power and control, you know, mm. or, or authority, right? So if you're in an environment like at school or something where someone has authority over you, that's one thing, but you can make a choice to relinquish your power or not. Yes. And I don't think that's right. really spoken of enough for young singers to recognize that they don't just have to pass everything over yeah, and then be in right. therapy for right. the next 20 years, you know? Yeah. And for, for me, everybody that I met that was already like in established in the industry in whatever way I perceived them to be, aka if they were older and they had credits, like, or they worked at a university even, like, I felt like every interaction was not, I was not approaching it as a moment to learn. I was always approaching it as a moment to prove myself and yeah, like, yeah, what are you going to, what doors are you going to open for me? You know? Yeah, and yeah. that's been really, really challenging. And also a conversation that we've had actually with other people and about what voice teachers are responsible for in a university setting, in a training sort of setting as well, like in a, in, a, in a young artist program, like what are the responsibilities of that voice teacher? Right. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something that you have to have a conversation with, you know, again, that's something as a singer that, you know, you should be able to ask those questions. But yeah. again, do you have enough understanding to know what questions to ask? That's, mm -hmm. there's the double-edged right. sword, right? Sometimes right. we just don't right. know what to ask. Mm -hmm. Or that we don't even know that we can ask, yeah. you know, and I think like, 
even if, you know, we were talking about like, oh, we could speculate all day, but I think like this conversation is a really generative one because it, you know, it, it could open the door for people to think, oh, wait, like I haven't actually been intentional about my relationships with my peers, with my teachers, with my students, mm -hmm. like how, let me examine that. And can I find a different way forward if this isn't actually serving me exactly. or them? And also recognizing the difference between becoming an artist and building craft and being an artist in the industry. It's not the same thing, mm. you know, right. Uh, right at all. So that, you know, what are you there to do? If all mm. you're there to do is make connections to, to, to sing for people and get jobs, you're not there to build your craft or your artistry. So, you know, my question is, what kind of artist are you then? you know, right, as right. if everyone is, no one is, you know, and right. so it, it's, it's a mixed message a lot of times. And I think the more clarity we get with that, the more conversations we can have about that, I think the easier it's going to be for everybody, you know, right. on both sides. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that ties into the conversation we've kind of just continuously had with a lot of folks of like working from the scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're an artist, whether you get hired for the job or not. Yeah. And like, how, how do you fulfill your artistry and continue to grow your artistry, even if the folks behind the table aren't buying what you're selling yet? Yeah. And yet is an important factor, but also recognizing that if you are an artist, it's how you live your life, not just mm -hmm. when you sing, you know, so embracing that, like, finding those little things that you consider to be you know not not important in your day actually can reveal more about your artistry than what you sing for an audition because it really is how you live your life and if you start claiming that it really is fulfilling and so you don't feel like you're changing gears then when you walk into an audition space it's mm -hmm. just an extension of who you are not mm -hmm. everything you are so that when you do get you know, the PFO letter or whatever, it's not going to, I mean, you might get pissed and, you know, slam a door or scream and yell or whatever you need to do. Um, but it's not going to finish you because okay. you are fulfilled in your day to day, or at least try working to be, you know, and I think that's crucial too, that we can over focus on an exterior something that you really don't have full control over that you forget the things that you can embrace in your life that you can you know feel a little more fulfilled with right right sometimes we get stuck in our ideas and creations not knowing the next step we all have so much creativity to offer but can get tied in knots with decisions and the need for approval EM2 Connects Business is to help you get untangled and discover your creative identity and vision. Emily Martin and Elizabeth McDonald are the creators behind EM2. As ideators and performers, they have sung and taught worldwide. In the past few years, too many artists have asked them, what do I do next? What was their answer? Their answer was EM2 Connect. They are raising the collaboration to the power of two and on a mission to support, connect, educate, and inspire the arts community. From one-on-one -on -one coachings to creative collectives, they have the tools to help you make sense of your creativity. Head to their website at www.em2connect.com. That's www.em2connect.com to learn more about how you can build the creative world you want to live in. Mm -hmm. Well, well, that actually leads me into my question for you, because I was just having this conversation with a singer last night about, you know, this pervasive, this other pervasive myth in our industry of like, you know, I know when I was coming up to university, everyone was like, you have to pick your genre. You can't do both. You can't do musical theater and opera, because if you try to do both professionally, you won't be good at either of them. And you teach many, many different styles of voice because I think you just come to the voice first. Like the instrument, the functionality of your vocal folds is the same regardless of the genre you're singing. Right. You know, so I was singing different types of genres on this concert last night and everyone was like, oh my gosh, you do musical theater so well. It's like, well, because I have a teacher who taught me how to do it. <laughs> like, and not 
like do it in a way that's healthy. Like it's possible guys. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I call bullshit on that all the time. And I think the problem is that again, knowledge is power. So if you don't have the knowledge, sometimes it's easier to to just poo-poo it and say, no, that's wrong. Or no, you can't, as opposed to saying, I don't do that. Or I don't teach that. If that's something you want to do, let's find you somebody who can help you discover that, you know, because again, you can find a functionality in order to wear, as I always talk about different styles and genres, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, your voice is going to be best suited to all of them, but you can certainly learn what that will feel like for your body. You know, it's like doing different dance styles, right? right. You can still take a bar class and not be a ballerina. Right. But Mm -hmm. you can still do those things in order for your body to feel stronger and more flexible, et cetera, et cetera. So the cross training, no matter what you end up falling into or feeling like you can really inhabit well is such a crucial part of just how your instrument functions. Right. And it gives you more colors to play oh, with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So like what brought you to this place of like kind of, you know, like I think one of the things that most singers know about you is that you do a lot of like crossover. Like I, Elise was asking well, how Elise got to you is because she asked me, she was like, who do you know? Like, I really want to do, like I find more joy in musical theater. Like how, and I feel like I don't do it. Like, who can I? See, and I was like, you need to talk to Susan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that came from my performance background because I started in straight theater. Okay. I did a lot of music theater and then came to classical voice, did a lot of cabaret back and forth and back and forth. So I was inhabiting those genres from the get-go. I didn't come to classical voice till after I started university. And here, here's, a, here's a little story for you, if I haven't told you this before. My very first voice teacher in university, first lesson, I had not had any formal training, but I was also coming more from a theater background than a classical background. She didn't know what to do with me because my voice had developed naturally in a certain way, but mm-hmm. wasn't able to access other stuff. She wasn't used to that. Mm. And my very first lesson at 18 with her, I was told I would never be a singer Mm. because I could not, I was not in a place where she could find, like, she didn't know what to do with me. You know, instead of saying, I don't know what to do with you. You have this voice already in this genre, but I don't know how to cross you back over this way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I would have appreciated. Instead, I was told I would never be a singer. Oh my gosh. So when that was because you sounded like a musical theater singer? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's interesting because I've experienced all of those things, many of those things along the way, but because I had been working in, in many genres and, you know, I have singers in, in all of them. I just think that it just gives me a very unique perspective. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I I'm curious about, about what you think. So like I have students now that have, uh, you know, this musical theater sound, that's just what they're more comfortable with. And they're in the voice program and like, we're learning classical music and they approach it very from this musical theater style. And part of me is like, okay, well, that's not right. We cannot yeah. do that. We cannot do this sound in this style. Right. But then part of me is like, but why? <laughs> well, I think genre and style are like, outfit and accessory, right? So sometimes they fit, sometimes they don't fit. So I think we have to honor the tradition of what that style and genre expects. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't just say it's notes on a page and let's just try it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, you can take a phrase out of Visidarte and never sing Tosca, but because that phrase creates something that you're working on within the voice, it, it can be notes on a page in that respect. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's recognizing that, that, that you can say, okay, I'm trying this on. It fits what my voice does, but it doesn't fit the genre or style that I'm singing. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And I think that's also one of the problems we have in, in the world of these, you know, 
children opera singers, and I'm air quoting while I say that, they're not opera singers. They're singing in a classical style, mm-hmm. but that, that doesn't make them opera singers. No. Being an opera singer means you're singing in an opera with a role. You know, mm-hmm. if you haven't right. done that, that's not what you are mm-hmm. and that you can inhabit that, you know? Right. Right. So it, it does take time, you know, and young voices, which I, you know, I don't teach really young voices anymore, like teenagers and kids, but some, again, voice is hormonal, right? So some voices are going to be more naturally developed than others. You can take a 14-year-old girl and have 7,000 different kinds of voices. It's just going to depend on, you know, what's going on mechanically, what they're gifted with physically, what they're gifted with emotionally and musically. And you develop that individual voice because we want to find out who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't yeah. want everybody to sound the same, right. you know? So if, you know, you're singing, you know, if, if music theater is in the ear of, of kids and that's what they're listening to or whatever, and then you're trying to move them into another genre, the exploration I always find is, is fascinating because they will want to sing it the way they wear everything else. Right. So then it's saying, okay, now how do we wear this differently? Maybe it's right. not the piece that's going to do that. Maybe it's going to be how we stretch what's underneath that, right. mm-hmm. which I call the vocal underwear. Maybe the underwear <laughs> doesn't fit for that style. So we've got to figure out what else has to happen in order to dress right. that more comfortably. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Well, and I've, I've always found it very interesting that like, a lot of the technical things that they do that's used in like musical theater genre and styling is not that far removed from sometimes the expectations in early opera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like, at least in terms of my teaching, I've also often found that to be a really helpful bridge because like you can straight tone some things there because there's an expectation to straight tone there, but it's also then a way to teach them like, okay, well now you have to pick and choose when there's like, legato vibrato yeah you know and then like it it, and but it's not like an all the time thing it's not like an all or nothing yeah yeah exactly and see those are more stylistic technical things and I think sometimes we jump the gun especially with young singers to go into stylistic technical things when there might just simply be like very functional things that are not developed yet Right. And that's one thing I think that's much lacking in general knowledge as to how that mechanism develops and how late, quote unquote, it is. You Especially know? for women. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that, I mean, it, it's, there are so many metabolic shifts throughout one's lifetime and recognizing, you know, when those things happen for different voice types and different physicalities so that you know, if, if we really understood that beautifully, I, I believe like undergrads wouldn't have as many kids in them because they're just not ready to enter the business, et cetera, at 22, because they're not even out of the oven yet vocally, Right. you know, right. now you always will have exceptions to the rule, but sometimes knowing that it's not too late can be such a reassuring thing as a singer feeling, you know, because I I've seen that time and time again, where singers will come to me straight out of an undergrad program thinking that if I don't get X, Y, Z, but by, by the time I'm 25, I, I won't have a career. And it's like, yeah, because that's what we're told. Yeah. I know. And it's not correct. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. right. Yeah. Right. No, young artist programs won't want you anymore because no. they can't exploit you. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but you can yeah. still have a career. Yeah. And see, that's, that's the thing. I mean, there's just so many, wouldn't it be delightful if young artist programs truly allowed for a mature singer to inhabit a space mm-hmm. that brought life experience and vocal development to those things? And the problem is, by the time you are at that physical age, you have your life and you will probably say, no, I will not go out and do five school shows in one day. You know, so, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff in that too. I mean, I'm just generalizing, obviously, that's not maybe this case in everywhere, but, but, you know, that 
the idea of a young artist program is to snag you before you have other commitments, mm -hmm. in my opinion, you know, right. before you know how to say no. Mm. Right. Right. Well, and in the old days, you know, when you were singing chorus as a young artist, you weren't doing the cover of the, you weren't singing the cover Mario roles. So you could watch all exactly. of those mature yeah. artists yeah. and like learn see what they did that. and learn exactly. from them. I, I yeah. feel like some of the, the best learning experiences I ever had were when I was in the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, you know, we always say like, oh, I'm just chorus. It's like, yeah, no, that's no. not, it's not a just, like it's an opportunity sure is. to like really watch what the main state what the principal artists are doing and what you can you learn from them or what do you exactly. not like about what they're doing like yeah it's... well and also exploring what your voice does within the context of of being in an ensemble where you're not going to necessarily stick out but you could maybe try something that you've just learned you know mm -hmm. and how is that going to feel you know like it can be a very very effective tool if you embrace it you know right right Right. And how do I stay engaged in a character, even if my character doesn't have a name? Like it's for me, ensemble work is like the most technically demanding. Yes. In terms well, of you stagecraft. Can, yeah. Because you can give yourself a backstory and give yourself a name and, you know, you can or just, create or, or just stand there, not or be useful. Exactly. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it can be an opportunity for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, to explore your craft within the context of a larger group. You know, mm -hmm. there's no small parts. No, 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 yep. indeed. So you you just recently um, released a course on the micro practicing. Yes, I did. And you know, you have other courses. I'm thinking that these courses are maybe common things that you hear or work through with students. Is that kind of the case? Not really. Yes and okay. no. I shouldn't say that, but okay. More of just creating and codifying certain principles that I work with. Mm -hmm. So micro practicing is one of them because again, function work, you know, I always look at it like going to the gym, you know, if you're there all day, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it, I mean, I want to, I want to be as efficient as possible. So knowing what you're doing, why you're there, what you're working towards, you know, all of those things. So if we're looking at voice as a physical construct, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing tangibility to the intangible and looking at it in the aspect of, you know, small muscle groups, et cetera, et cetera. How can we find small increments of time, time throughout the day that we don't have to find a whole hour or 90 minutes. Cause I mean, if someone says to me, you need to find 90 minutes to practice today. And it's like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and I don't, you know, unless you're learning a role or you're working on a concert or something, it's just, it's, it's impossible for most of us to find that kind of time. Then we go down the spiral of, Oh God, I didn't practice again. And okay. If I couldn't find 90 minutes, I'm not doing it at all. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then we have all the, the joys of what happens in your head with that. So I always have encouraged singers to break things into sections so that you can feel like, oh my God, like I did five minutes and I did six minutes and I, and I, I actually did 45 minutes today, but I did it so you know, sporadically, but it all made sense and it all connected. And that's kind of what that course is based on. Mm -hmm. finding how and why, because I think we've all been there before. I certainly have where I could do every exercise under the sun and then I couldn't sing because <laughs> yeah. I didn't know why I was doing the exercise, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And again, then I asked why, and sometimes was with, with, don't be so difficult, just do mm -hmm. it. It's like, wait a mm -hmm. minute, but I don't like to work like that. <laughs> yeah. I also like, to like know why. Yeah. So that when I have a particular problem, I can like know what to use to help. Yes, me. <laughs> exactly. So that again, if you're doing if you're doing things by rote and you're not paying attention, this is when you can run into trouble, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's vocal or whether you're at the gym or you're not paying attention and you step off the sidewalk and twist your ankle. Like being really present in everything you do is such a crucial part of who you can be as an artist. And so practicing should be the same, you mm -hmm. know? Mm hmm. And breaking that so that if you really have a crazy busy day, but you know, you've grounded that day for five minutes, you've practiced, 
so that it will empower you to say, okay, I did practice yesterday. So what can I do today? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my day's just as busy, but what if I added that one extra thing in, you know, and that keeps that energy going because it's so easy to just say, ugh, I didn't get mm -hmm. to it again, you know, mm -hmm. maybe next week, you know, yeah. and then we're panic stricken when all of a sudden you get an email to say, oh, I got an audition for something and I haven't practiced in two weeks. Well, right. you know, yeah. that's frustrating. So it's, it's kind of how I approach that and how I try to teach that so that singers aren't feeling, you know, I must be doing this. And if I'm not, I'm a terrible singer. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? Right. definitely. It must be a common thing because you definitely, when I first started working with you in throughout, like you were like, you know, and you can do this warm up when you're washing the dishes <laughs> and yeah. you can do this warm up in the shower. <laughs> well, yeah, because that's when you're thing. driving in your car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because who's got, I mean, it's very hard to carve out that kind of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in a block for sure. Yes. yes. So if yeah. you know that, you know, you're building upon a micro practice throughout the day yes. where you don't have to start over again you mm -hmm. know and then you know why you're building those blocks in a, in a certain order mm -hmm. everything is going to be accessible to you yeah and that's the that's the key right you know right. you don't want to feel like it's an all or nothing situation totally right well and also like it's uh, guys if you're out there practicing for like two hours straight without stopping it's just not sustainably a healthy thing either no no I mean, that like, would say, let's run the marathon before we run the marathon. Like, why? Right. What are we doing? Right. You know, right. I, I think that's the big thing, too, is recognizing like what we do is athletic. So treat it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to. I mean, unfortunately, in the theater world, if you're certainly on a Broadway schedule and you're doing eight shows a week, you are part of the equipment, sadly. You know, that is not ideal for sure, because, you know, that's why singers and, and dancers can get injured because they're overworking the physicality, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in repertoire, if you're in a repertory company and in, in an opera repertory company too, where you do get a day of rest or three days of rest between a show, you know, then it's being treated more like your physical uh, body would be treated. I mean, going to the gym too, you, you know, what do they say? You shouldn't be working the same muscle groups two days in a row, like give it a rest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're practicing for two hours and then you go do a show at night, I mean, the recipe for disaster is staring you in the face, mm -hmm. no matter if you've got cords of steel, you know? Right. Yeah. So recognizing that what does my body need today? What is my voice? How is my voice responding to my body? Because that's really what it is. The mm -hmm. voice is just giving you cues as to how he or she, you know, wants is behaving. And, you know, it's like, okay, I don't like it in here today. Okay, what do you need? Let's figure it out so that it becomes less about, oh my God, my voice isn't working. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we get so caught in our heads. Oh, <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah. Are there any other common things that you find yourself working through? Or I know everybody is different and there might not be any common things you can think of. For like singers, are you thinking that? Yeah, for singers. Um, I think we tend to be a very impatient species, <laughs> you know, and I think part of that comes from the intangibility of what we do, mm -hmm. that we learning how to create the tangibility slows us down, mm -hmm. which is a good thing, you know, because it's not, we can't just get up from the keyboard or put the violin down or, you know, and so I think also, that has to do with other people assuming that singing is easy because you can't mm -hmm. see it. They don't mm -hmm. know what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas you watch a violin player, you know, play or you watch a pianist play or whatever, guitar player play, and you, you say, oh my God, like that looks really hard. Well, you can't see that in a singer. So I think sometimes we take on that unintentionally yeah. and feel, you know, that that I want it now, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's I definitely like, want it now. <laughs> but again, if we think of it from an athletic perspective, you know, I'd love to have, you know, more definition in my, my biceps, but unless I pick that weight up <laughs> regularly and do the right exercises, there's no bicep coming in, you know, yeah. oh um, wishing God. it, wishing it to be there is not going to make it happen. Yeah. And there's no silver, sil silver bullet that you'll do like one day and then you'll have biceps. Exactly. So yeah. it's kind of the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. 
Totally. I mean, I, I think that that's a through line that I see. Yeah. And we all experience that. Listen, that's why I'm a singer and not a pianist. (laughs) (laughs) Because singing, because singing does have like this weird like relationship. Like there is an instant gratification element to it, you know, that I think feeds that impatience too. Cause you're like, oh, I did it right this time. It's like, you have to do it so much that you can't do it the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And that's going to take, that's going to take time. time. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Really great. Yes, to be yes. Here. Please, t- we'll put it in the show notes, but please tell our audience how they can find you and your courses and your wonderful self. Oh, thank you. My website has everything and it makes it very easy. My website designer, Tony Howell, created a shortcut because my name is so long. So it's sey.fyi. Oh, I love that. Everything is there and all my socials are at sey voice. Okay. Awesome. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the My So-Called Opera Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us keep making more, because this content creation shit ain't free, y'all, you can show us some love by rating and reviewing the podcast. This helps get the word out to more badass artists. Share with a friend. Word of mouth is the best advertising and a free way to support us. Double win for empowering your colleagues and being a responsible follower. Buy us a coffee. Fuel our coffee obsession and our Instagram live coffee chats with a one-time donation of any amount. Or bust that starving artist myth by becoming a sustaining Patreon member. This option is so impactful to the ongoing creation of our podcast that we offer you early access to ad-free episodes and more. You can become a member for as little as $3 a month. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us over on Instagram at MSCOL Podcast. This podcast is edited by Joshua Wise and produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk. Stage Time is the professional hub for the performing arts and is a growing community of 4,000 plus opera singers and classical musicians, arts administrators, agents, production staff, and beyond. Set up a launch-ready portfolio in under 10 minutes. A growing list of over 100 arts organizations accepts a Stage Time profile in lieu of a website URL. Unlike a static website, Stage Time allows you to connect with collaborators, showcase your skills, source or be sourced as the right talent and center your creative practice. StageTime is available on any web browser or on the App Store and on Google Play. Search StageTime to stay connected to colleagues, mentors, students and friends from anywhere in the world. The arts industry is waiting for you on StageTime.